0: Hey, listeners, we're starting something new and exciting. If you've been enjoying our show, be sure to sign up for our new monthly newsletter. Visit our website at www.becketsbabies.com to sign up for our newsletter today. Thanks for listening. Listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. Uh, This week's
1: guest on the show is Alex Lin. Alex is an award-nominated Asian American playwright and ex-STEM kid from Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, Her plays have been workshopped and produced at Women's Theater Festival, The Rude Mechanicals in Washington, and Actors Theater of Louisville Professional Training Company. She is this year's 2020 Pass the Pen nominee at Ashland New Play Festival and Screencraft Stage Play Quarterfinalist. Lynn is also a content creator and journalist at 824 Films Space Media Company, Supercluster, where she's written editorials featuring former astronaut Nicole Stott, uh, NASA executive Kathy Luters, uh, screenwriter Mark Heyman, and actor Kathy Ng. Most recently, Lynn was seen as number 11 in The Wolves as actor, Sierra Louisville. So, Alex, welcome to the show.
2: Yay, thank you for having me. <laughs> We're so Yay. excited to talk to you. Woohoo! I'm also excited. Yay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so just really quickly, I want to let our listeners know um, the month of September, I challenged myself to read as many plays as I can on New Play Exchange. And uh, through Twitter, someone recommended me your play, Beth. And I came across that play and I was just like laughing the entire time, <laughs> almost the entire time. And I was like, and you know, Sam knows this, like I don't like Shakespeare. Like I just like, oh, I don't want to I don't like it, but I like, but I'll take like adaptations of it if it's like a young, like a, a young teen version of it or whatever, because I'll just laugh mm-hmm. my head off. Um, so yeah, that's and then we reached out to you um to have you on the show, and we're so excited to have you.
2: <laughs> I'm so stoked to talk yeah. about this and this play.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah. So one of the first questions we like to ask, um to start the show is your earliest memory. You know, tell us your earliest memory. What was your life like before theater?
2: Well, if we want to get like super specific, like my actual earliest memory is probably when I was two years old. And I think it was my birthday party. And we were at my Guggen Popo's house. um, And I was sitting in their like green room. They had like a little green room with plants and stuff and like looking outside. And my grandpa like called me to go outside and then I like ran outside. So that's literally my earliest memory. Very disjointed, very bizarre. I don't really know what it means. Uh, um, But um, I guess just like before theater, I was just kind of, like, the biggest nerd on the planet. I was literally one of those kids who, like, answered present when the teacher took attendance. (laughs) So, yeah, that should, like, tell you something about me, whether that's good or not. I don't know. Um, I really liked science and math um, in elementary school and in middle school. Those were, like, my two favorite subjects. I kind of didn't think I was, like, good at English or history, ironically, even though that's, like, what I ended up, like... um, sort of majoring in for a while at college, but, um, that, that was just, like, kind of my thing. I think I even, like, got an award in middle school for, like, science. Even though I don't That's really know awesome. why I got it. Wow. Yeah, I really liked it. And then I just, like, uh, didn't do it. So
0: you I know, feel I like among theater artists that you, like, if you really like math, you almost have to apologize for it. And I just yeah. don't understand why that is. <laughs> it
2: makes me sad. It makes me sad because, honestly, the disciplines are not that different. I think, like, there's an impression of the disciplines that they're super – polarizing and completely unrelated to each other but Mm. both of them are motivated by innovation right and you don't Mm. you don't innovate anything by just staying the same or sticking within the status quo so I actually think there's a lot of creativity in math and science that people don't necessarily realize
0: oh I love that Mm. cool so tell us how you got into theater when and how and where did that happen
2: Okay. So I went to one of those magnet high schools that were super like STEM heavy. So obviously that was still like part of my life, but they also had a really, really good theater program. And I was like very involved in it. Um, Eventually I kind of, when I, when I got to applying for colleges, I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to like do that for my life. So I decided to go to NYU and major in international relations and Latin American history um, that was something I really became interested in in high school, but, um, after doing that for a year, I, I just wasn't happy. So I transferred to Tish, and that's like kind of it really. Like, I think I just like decided to be poor. So <laughs> 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 I just thought that it was a good idea for me.
0: <laughs> mm. Okay. Yeah. That's so real. <laughs> and did you go planning to write plays? Was that your... Original? I did not actually.
2: No, I did not actually. I I really was um, attached to acting. I really, really wanted to that to be my whole thing. But um, I actually went to Actors Theatre of Louisville this last year as an acting apprentice. But my experience there kind of... Um, it changed me a lot. And I think it made me realize, oh, well, actually, I think I'd rather... I would rather be the person writing the material than Mm. the person like in it. You know, I had a very interesting, like, I don't, I don't want to say come to Jesus. That's very like um, Judeo Christian, but I guess, I guess like I saw the white light or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Come to
2: Shakespeare. How about? Come to Shakespeare. I had
1: a a come to
2: Shakespeare moment. Mm. Totally. Um, Well, well, So what was it that –
1: well, in that moment, was it that um, maybe uh, the experience like inspired Mm. you to think about going into writing or were you Uh already sort of writing and you're like, you know what, I kind of want to do more of this –
2: I think it was kind of the latter um, because Mm -hmm. the program, you kind of had to write because Mm -hmm. there was um, this part of it called the Solomios, which were one person shows that every acting apprentice had to write on their own. So obviously I wrote mine. Um, We had a workshop with Mark Bavino and Stephanie Thompson from the Mad Ones. Uh, They were nice enough to come out to Louisville and do like a writing workshop with us. And there was this exercise where after several little writing prompts, we had to like go off to our own space for an hour and just keep writing. And the challenge was we couldn't go back and edit at all. Like we had to just keep writing mm. the whole way through the first hour. And that's how I wrote my solo mio. I literally wrote my solo mio in an hour. I didn't really... There were like maybe minor edits I made once I started working with a director and a dramaturg. But like that's that was really what created my solo mio. And I think... After that, I was like, oh, this is obviously something I can do that I didn't realize I could do. And I think I could do it well. But at the time I was still kind of like, "Yeah, well, I don't know. Do I still like want to make be like mainly an actor? Like, I guess it's fun. <laughs> 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 obviously, I was still I was a little equivocal about it to begin with. But um, the real like big change for me, I think, came when I was in Peronius Fasada's production of the wolves. Um and I love Prunch so much. She's super super awesome. She honestly I credit her with like helping me realize what I actually wanted to do in this industry, which is like create content. Um and in that uh experience with the Wolves, not to say that it's like a bad play at all or that it was a bad experience. It's probably one of the best experiences in theater I've ever had, but part of me was still kind of angry. Um whenever we did the play and I didn't really know why I was angry because by all means, I think I should have been thrilled, I guess, to play like a young woman who was very like similar to myself. Um, even just like on the paper, I was like, Oh yeah, this is stuff I would say, but um, something about it was bothering me. And I couldn't really articulate it until Perone mentioned in a rehearsal how, you know, the play has this level of like inherent whiteness. Mm. And I was like, Oh my god. Well, that's why I'm pissed cuz I feel I felt like I had to almost ignore the fact that I was Asian American and mixed race. Mm-hmm. Like I I felt myself leaning into my whiteness during that play and that made me really mm-hmm. that's what made me angry and that's what made me upset. And so after that I was like, well, like I can either just keep doing what I've been doing, which is ignore a giant part of myself so I can like play a part or something or I can fix it you know or I can like have like a mm-hmm. actual solution so I think I decided to pursue a solution <laughs> instead of just maintaining the status quo yeah that's what happened
0: that's awesome
2: yeah it is awesome and I love the play I love the play it's, Sarah is an amazing writer but it made me realize oh like there needs to be more space for other other plays about like young people
0: well, and I just love that the discovery for you came out of, like, listening to your anger, you yeah, know? totally. That, that yeah. you felt a w- certain way, and you decided to go in, into that rather than just ignoring it, um, mm-hmm. and that that, like, led you towards this really important realization.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of the times we're told to ignore our anger because yeah, it's not exactly. like... Um, What's the word? Not the word isn't attractive, but it's not it's not polite to be angry. Um, but there are certain situations where I think politeness is just a way of also being complacent with things that are bothering you.
0: Mm-hmm. So I would definitely
2: encourage people to not be polite if something's actually irritating you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You should probably stand mm-hmm. up for yourself. I highly recommend it. So let's um,
1: so let's lead us to your play, Beth. So could you talk to us, the listeners, you know, um, Beth, and like what the the process or the inspiration was behind it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just walk us through your process there.
2: Sure. Um, so I wrote Beth – I started writing Beth when we all had to go back in quarantine during March because um, I went back to my childhood home And I was in my like childhood bedroom for some time. Mm. So I kind of had some time to think about high school and just my experience there being in that environment, especially as like um, a young woman of color in a very like STEM heavy place. Um, And so I decided to write Beth about it, and obviously I, I was inspired by Peerless. I did read Peerless while I was at Actors Theatre Louisville; it was just recommended to me, um, and I loved it. I loved that play, but also part of me again I was like, well, this is like close to what I experienced, but it's not quite it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what can I do? I can either be like, oh, Peerless is good enough for me, or I can write my own play. So I decided
0: to I decided to write my own play. <laughs> and why did you decide to adapt Macbeth? I think because,
2: because when I went to high school, I felt like I was in a Shakespeare play mm. all the time. Everything was like <laughs> a level 10. Everything was constantly a level 10. Everything was life or death. Nobody really thought before they spoke. People just like acted on their like base instincts. And um, <laughs> frankly, sometimes there weren't really any consequences for people's actions. So it's like, it, it felt like a freaking Renaissance, mm-hmm. Jacobean, <laughs> Elizabethan, whatever drama. All the Constant. ambition, jealousy uh, and oh, revenge. that. yeah, I mean, the kids <laughs> like, listen, like this is a story from my high school. There was a girl who, uh, how do I explain this? So there was a girl who was best friends with this other girl. These two girls were best friends. That's how I'm going to explain it. And um, they were both in the same peer leadership program, and they were both like sort of like competing for a lot of the same things. And one night when um, the younger girl went over to the the older girl's house for um, sleepover, she took her laptop and deleted everything on the hard
0: drive. Oh Oh, my God.
2: She deleted everything. And the (laughs) older girl was, the older girl was, um, actually, I think the older girl was a junior at the time. So the younger girl was a sophomore. Yeah. The older girl was a junior at the time. And like, it was before like the SATs had been taken. It was before she had like started. It it was as she was writing her first drafts of her like college essays. Like it was really bad. Wow. (laughs) And obviously, there's like no proof that this girl deleted the hard drive, mm-hmm. but she was the last person with the computer and she was like the only person there. So,
0: wow. And they were
2: best friends. They were best friends. Yeah, they were best friends. So stuff like that happened at my school all the time, especially with college admissions, especially with Intel, which is like a real, mm-hmm. that's a real competition. It's called Regeneron now because Regeneron is a sponsor now. But oh, um, wow. that's a real competition. Yeah. Like the COVID yeah.
0: drug company. Yeah, yes. Regeneron, the
2: COVID drug company, the the place that made the freaking cocktail, the antibody cocktail. Wow.
0: That pumped Donald is Trump with Intel, go-go juice. Is, so for for people who haven't read the play, Intel is this competition that all of the students um, are uh, like submitting science projects to. Is that short mm-hmm. for something? The, well, Intel? Intel, like the
2: company. Oh, oh, oh. It's oh, just I the see. company. Okay. Mm-hmm. Intel the company. The it was the it. Intel okay. International Science Fair. I think that's the full name of it, or was the full name of it at the time. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, I think I think what um, the play really captured for me is just this, this viciousness of it, mm-hmm. of like, the, the competition and the
0: mm-hmm.
1: – I mean – and it's almost like violence in the way we see we know about Macbeth, you know, the that violence. Um, but I thought that, yeah, I I think I when I was reading it, the thing that kept coming to mind that um another Shakespeare adaptation was she's all uh no, she's the man with oh, Amanda Bynes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. Have you guys have seen that? that movie. Yes. Oh my god, of course I've seen it. Oh my god. <laughs> Who do you think I am? You think of a Philistine? I love culture. Of course I've seen
0: she's the man. <laughs> I think I laughed out loud during that entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was so dumb. I mean, it was very enjoyable, but also ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Incredible movie.
1: Yeah. So that ridiculousness, right? Where you're like, wow, they are – what what you just said. I was like, they're like at TED all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, man, I – the Beth was like, this is, if I was that, if I was in the movie theater, you know, as Asian kid and like, would love to see this, you know, on screen <laughs> or something like, oh, here's me, you know, uh, you know, someone looks like me doing this, you know, instead of um, Amanda Bynes. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. I just thought that, yeah, so that's, that's, that's where, when I was reading the experience that I was um, gravitating towards was just like, the... The, um, the relatability and mm. how you're able to capture what makes Shakespeare very Shakespeare, but also adapt it into something we could all recognize. Um, and maybe it could be like tropes or whatever, but like those Asian American stories that you know we think of. And so it was just like putting those two together. I was like, it, I just don't, know, I don't know why. I was like, oh, it works so well because um, that that competitiveness. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: I'm glad it worked (laughs) it worked (laughs) well yeah I agree and I totally bought that these high school students were willing to kill or risk their own lives (laughs) mm, toward this competition like it was just complete it it brought me back to high school too when everything felt like I mean I just remember being like 16, 17 years old and kind of feeling like when you graduated high school it it was kind of like the end of your life, anyway. <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm, it was like mm-hmm. life yeah. was high school, and it's the end of the world. Adults were kind of like living a different kind of reality, and so, um, and it was very easy to get caught up in the the pressures and the stresses of, mm-hmm. you know, if you go down one path, it will mean a life of success and comfort and if you go down any other path and you'll like you know be suffering for the rest of your life so you might as well die
2: (laughs) right right yeah yeah that was real (laughs) you're making me think
1: now like high school graduation was a funeral like that everyone's
2: crying was was, like
1: feeling like it was like there's this whole um like it's a ceremony you know that's very like you're like I don't know because would...
0: well, well, yeah. everything our culture tells us is that like that's supposed to be the best time of your life right mm-hmm. and I remember the first day of ninth grade another kid telling me she was like we're in high school now this is the stuff that movies are made of mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like it, it yeah. kind of felt like never again was life supposed to be as fun or meaningful or consequential as mm-hmm. those four years and of course now looking back at it that just seems so silly but when you're inside of it that's all you know yeah right totally so um Alex one of the things we really want to ask you about is your other writing as a space journalist (laughs) which just sounds fascinating to me mostly because the phrase space journalist is just like super fun to say so (laughs) can you just tell us a little bit about that and how if at all it has influenced your
2: creative writing? Sure I mean basically what I do is um, I work for A24 subsidiary company Supercluster which is the space media company Um, and I cover just like developments that are happening in space so I've written stuff about like SpaceX we've worked with like Boeing and Blue Origin directly Um, we cover a lot of launches most recently we covered um, the uh DM2 launch, which was a collaboration between NASA and SpaceX. And it was a historic launch in many ways because it was it marked the first American space vehicle launching from American soil with American astronauts in like I think like something close to two decades, which is pretty wow. cool. Wow. Uh-huh. And we're set to cover Crew 1 upcoming, which is um it's going to be also a NASA SpaceX collaboration through the commercial crew program. Um, and it's going to send four astronauts, three American, one Japanese to the ISS for their first like actual mission on the spacecraft um, on the SpaceX vehicle. So that's pretty cool. It's like um, we're really like experiencing this new like era of space flight, which I find just like very exciting. Um, and I think that it influences my playwriting and screenwriting. Because I personally don't want to write anything unless I know, like, the facts. I think research is really, really important to me. Like, that's, like, a critical step. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to expand upon anything that I'm thinking until I feel like I know 100%, like, what I'm talking about. Like, from both sides, you know. Because mm-hmm. I – that's that's really, really important to me. Um, plus, like, I mean, like I said, like, before, I don't think art and science are that different. They're both really, really inspired by just our desire to learn more and keep exploring so it's kind of it's easy for me to bring both across like platforms you know
0: I think it's so interesting to hear you say that because I think that stops a lot of people from writing Mm -hmm. when they feel like they have to get it exactly right um especially young writers I think that can be Mm -hmm. intimidating but it Mm -hmm. sounds like for you um that kind of motivates you to just keep researching. Mm.
2: Yeah, totally. And I I do think there's a difference between getting it right, and being factual. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think getting it right implies like, at least in my mind, there's this sort of, um, what's the word? I guess there's this this impression from that phrase that you have to please other people. Mm. And that's something, frankly, I'm I mean, I might sound like a jerk saying this, but I'm not really concerned about that when I'm writing. Um, I'm not concerned with making everybody happy. I'm concerned with telling the truth, Mm -hmm. which is exactly why facts are so important to me. So I I do think, like, there's a big, like, distinction there. And I understand the, like, desire to, like, oh, I have to get it right. Like, it has to sound right. It has to be, like, perfect. But it doesn't exist, you guys. Like, (laughs) we all have to listen. Let's just, like, (laughs) let's just, like, relax. Let's use some, like, CBD lotion. Let's (laughs) let's just chill out, you know? But, yeah, I think you're totally right. I think the facts do, like, motivate me
0: to, like, Mm. go further. Spoken like a true journalist. (laughs)
2: LOL. Hurt me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm glad journalism might become popular again. (laughs) Uh, Oh, God.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I think about what you said, you know, math and science and arts and you know, so much of writing to me is 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 an equation. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. for me I'm just like constantly, you know, I write it out and then when I go through the rewriting process, I'm constantly figuring out why there's a, this needs to be justified or like, maybe I need to move this around, you know, move some scenes around or remove uh-huh. this scene. It, it is like a uh-huh. kind of a big, like an algebra equation. Yeah, totally. Um, but, but so I, I see the the value and I see the connection, and how uh, they really go hand in hand in so many ways, the, 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 the logic and the process uh, behind it. Um, so I think that's very cool um that uh so another question is that did you just sort of fall like um fo- followed or like fall into the whole space tech journalism or did you or is that something you were kind of pursuing as you were acting and doing that That's theater?
2: actually that's a funny story. Um, I definitely just like kind of fell into it. Which, like, if anything, if nothing else, that should just be a message to people. It really doesn't matter what you major in in college. I did not no. major in anything like that. I didn't major in journalism at all. Um, not even when I was like in the the liberal arts school at NYU. Um, so basically, what had happened was I was like an intern for my editor while I was in college and I was just like writing stuff for him for free. Um he developed his own like media site and I was just like doing like arts and entertainment like contributor work. So that was like it was a fun way for me to build my portfolio and like it it used up my time. So I was like, okay, whatever. Um fast forward, I was maybe six months out of graduation and I was working a job I really, really hated. I was working in like a workers' compensation department at an orthopedic practice. And it was miserable. Um, but, you know, it gave me money. So I was doing it. And then I get this message from my editor saying, Oh, hey, do you still write? And I was like, I mean, like, I guess I do. And he was like, Okay, meet me at the Astro Place Starbucks on this day at this time. And let's go over your portfolio. And I was like, uh, Okay. He's like, I might have some work for you. And I was like, um, Okay. So I met <laughs> him at the <laughs> Starbucks. with my portfolio um, that I had spent frantically editing for two hours like the night before because I was so nervous and he seemed to be pleased with it. So he was like, okay, I want you to develop four pitches um, having to, I want you to develop four pitches relating to space and then I want you to come into this office at this time on this day next week. Um, And I was like, okay. And he was like, oh, by the way, here, I want you to have this. And he handed me a pen, and the pen said a on it. And I was like, what? I was like, I don't get it. And he was like, that's the company I work for. And I was like, why <laughs> did not you tell me that before? And he was like, oh, I wanted to be surprised. So that wow. was very, very nice of him. Um, eventually, I went into the office. I met his um, partner, Eric, who um, – is the founder of Grand Army the design firm and I'm convinced this is the reason that I got the job like not because not to like knock my writing but like I think this definitely helped Eric had scratched his cornea the day before I met him so his eye was gigantic and purple and completely swollen shut so the entire time we were going through my pitches (laughs) he was just like I'm so sorry that I look like this I'm really really sorry um this looks nice this looks like a fun pitch (laughs) Yay. I'm
0: sure your pitches were amazing. Yeah. I'm sure they were cool. Yeah, I'm sure they were cool. But I also He he could appreciate that his cornea.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm sure it healed him in some way. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. that was like I've been doing that for like um I guess two years now. That's so cool. Wow, that's Crazy. amazing. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really It's a really cool job. I like that job a lot.
1: Um, all right, so just to uh, switch gears. Um, so this is a pretty creative question. Um, <laughs> name three playwrights, living or dead, that you would invite to a dinner party.
2: This is easy. It's G Park, Lynn Nako Winkler, and Carol Churchill.
0: Oh, good choice. Oh, wow. Easy That's for fun. me. Easy for me. <laughs>
2: Tell us Why? all very, very, Why did you I just, I love opinionated women. I'm a very opinionated woman, obviously. Um, if, if nobody's gathered that by this point, I don't know what else to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, it should be obvious to you. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it, they all have written plays that have seriously affected me um, just as like mm. a person, you know, and th- their plays I still think about. I still think about Peerless. I still think about God Said This. I, and I think about Top Girl's Every day, honestly, almost every day, because it's, they've managed to communicate something that's so just like ingrained into just our society, American or British society, just like, well, any like capitalist society, really, about like the crazy values that they've instilled in us, um, hmm. and um, it's something, I don't know, they just, their writing really affected me, so I'd love to just sit down and talk and hang out with them, honestly.
0: Okay, here's another one. If you were an audience member or a reader who read your play for the first time, how might they describe you and your writing in one word? Oh, God, the one word
2: is hard. Um, (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) Can Can I use two words but, like, hyphenate them? Sure. Let's say... Smart asshole, but hyphenated. (laughs) I'm trying to think of a word, like one word that is that. And I can't think of one word that is that because I I just, my brain (laughs) doesn't function like that. That's probably what, yeah. (laughs) I love it.
1: Yeah, that's a good, that's good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So we're before we move on to Glisten's, uh, we have a couple more questions. Um, so, what advice would you give, you know, to encourage playwrights to think outside the box and, like, whether it be form or breaking form or, uh, or pursuing topics that maybe, you know, they're too afraid to write. You know, mm-hmm.
2: um, what advice would you give to those folks? I would say. Well, in terms of form, it's like, most of my plays are not in the standard playwriting format. So I don't know, maybe I'm not like the best person to ask, but I just say it's like, play with ways that form can reflect visually and like orally what you think is going on. That that would be my recommendation when it comes to form and what, what, how you feel like the play is experiencing in its, its emotional life. Um, in terms of like topics, I would say just, just like, don't be afraid to write what you think is the truth. Really don't. Um, and don't think you're too, because this, this is something I've like struggled with before. Don't think you're too dumb to write about something because you're not, you're absolutely not. That's what people want you to think um, so that mm. they can keep creating, you can keep having their own narratives about certain topics, but you're not, you're absolutely not too dumb to write about it. So write about it express what you think that topic is about and what values you think that topic reflects about what, whether it be like our society or people involved in that industry or like what you believe too. And also just like, I don't know. This is the thing I, I, when I talk to my writer friends, we talk about this a lot. Like we just are very concerned with how stuff we write might be perceived like, Oh, am I going to sound like a jerk? Am I going to sound stupid? Am I going to sound like too flowery or like, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, people are going to get bored of my writing. I would just, like, say, like, tell that voice in your head to literally fuck off because it's stupid and it's not productive. <laughs> that is stupid. You know? Like, not letting yourself actually express what you truly believe. That's stupid. That's, like, the one thing that I think is actually dumb. And I understand. I understand. Because, like, criticism is so painful sometimes. So painful. Um. Believe me, I've heard crazy notes from people sometimes and I'm like, did you even like read the play? But um, you just have to ignore it, you really do. And I know that can sound like really reductive, but I guarantee you, if you just ignore it and keep doing what you're doing, people are gonna start noticing that.
0: How do you think you learned to overcome those things?
2: I went to a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I would do That's a awesome. lot of therapy and just like, I don't know, the way I was raised to, I I had very, very strong opinionated parents. So I think that helped me a lot, you know, strong opinionated parents who didn't try to press their values onto me and allowed me to express what I believed. Mm. So that was definitely
0: really awesome to grow up with. Cool. Mm. Okay, one more big question, then we'll go to Glissons. Um, How would you define what it means to be an artist in the 21st century? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think multidisciplinary, um, Mm. adaptable.
2: I think cross-industry. I think we're seeing more and more like people are starting to write about stories and experiences and people that were not necessarily written about 20 years ago. 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So um, I think that's a huge change and a really, really
0: good change. Yeah. I also wonder, though, if people were writing those stories and we just don't have them because they it's were probably, lost. probably, yeah. You know, like, because the people writing them didn't have enough clout or yeah. didn't, didn't have access to the right, you know, places and people. And so their work She'll is just lost. Yeah. No,
2: you're so totally right. I mean, like we hear about the story with Alice Walker, too, how her play was supposed to be produced on Broadway, but they wanted her to change the title. And she was like, absolutely not. And um, obviously, there was no Alice Walker play on Broadway. So we know what happened.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's just so sad how much and also infuriating how much lost yeah. art there is. I agree um, with you.
1: Well, I'm optimistic now. You are? <laughs> Well, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> yesterday, but I'm really optimistic. I'm I know,
2: like, I feel great. Yeah. <laughs> I know.
1: I feel optimistic. Um, I I feel like there there's this sense of you know m- this realization and look and recognizing it, and more and more people are trying to create r- like routes for other artists and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just feel like new play exchange is like a good example of like oh, yeah being a your totally. workout there. And like this week, I was at this week, yeah, just like a couple of people just reached out to me, email, They read a play of mine, they're like, Can you have any more? And I was just like, Wait, how Yay! did you find me? How did you find me? And it was like new play exchange. And I just feel like it's like yes. places like this, like people trying to create more paths for people. Um, I think it's a really exciting time. Um, but yeah. Uh, grieving for those from the past Who do not have this Opportunities are sprouting In front of us right now um, Yeah. Well um, Alex So where can our listeners find you?
2: You can find me on new play exchange. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Alex, Alex Lynn on new play exchange. You can also check out my website, Alexandra Lynn um, I have a bunch of stuff up there, like including my plays, but also just work with super cluster too. If any of lis- of your listeners are interested in space and tech, um, that's a, that's a good resource for me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I saw. I checked. I checked out your website, and I was like, "Oh my god!" She writes. She's a tech journalist or a space journalist, and she's also she sings. You're also yeah, I know. singing.
2: Isn't that, isn't that absurd?
1: <laughs> we do so much. Like it's a, it's incredible. You're that's uh, great.
2: Thank you. Oh my god.
1: I'm, I'm all for people who could do multiple things.
2: <laughs> it's fun. I think we should all encourage each other to be multidisciplinary. I think that's yeah. what like the world, our evolving world needs. You know. Mm-hmm
1: well shall LOL. we move yes glistens
0: you want to go first sarah
1: yes um so alex glissin is where we share our you know favorite highlights of the week It could be a news headline
0: um mm. anything
1: you discovered so i'll start off uh one uh democracy wins <laughs>
2: <Yay>. <laughs> like that's a big one for oh my me God. Thank
0: what a week.
1: holy cow roller coaster of emotions I couldn't I haven't slept like I could not I think last night was the first night I was like I slept like good seven hours before mm. that I was constantly waking up in the middle of the night like did mm-hmm. they call it did they call it yeah yep. um, panicking yeah panicking and so I'm I was yesterday it was the first time feeling so happy that Biden and Harris went winning and just or elected. So. Let's just let's just see how this all pans out in the next couple months. But oh I feel God. really good, you guys. I feel really good. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, totally. Yeah. So that's my one. But my real glisten is, um, uh, I watched Unsolved Mysteries. So Unsolved Mystery has a new season out. Episode four, titled "Tsunami Spirits," uh, it's about the Ishi Ishinomaki tsunami, and that has happened like a few years ago, and like. 20,000 people died or disappeared and never found. And a year later after the tsunami hitting this, this town, there was all these like paranormal supernatural occurrences that were starting to happen. Whoa. And the thing that really caught me during that episode was um, this professor was saying that, you know, these experiences are very anecdote anecdotal, you know, people don't know, but the thing that was on, paper on page like that that is tracked is these taxi drivers picking up passengers and disappearing because mm-hmm. their meter is running and then they're like me- the meter is running they're driving them around the passenger around and then when they stop the meter and because they think that's where the passenger wanted to go and they turn back and they're just disappeared so Whoa. I know it's like it's like gaming me Whoa. goosebumps that, that this is the only way to that there's some evidence here that that there are these sightings and ghosts and so um yeah and then it was so interesting to hear about this culture like in japan that mm-hmm. like the human world and the spirit world are very like interconnected there's no like it's not separation there's no separation at all and so there's this like openness and that's why a lot of people having these experiences happen frequently or they encounter yeah. and so so i was like oh my god i love i love stuff like this i was like oh my
0: gosh um What a fitting glisten when we're talking about Beth, a player of ghosts. (laughs) Yeah, right. Spooky, spooky. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that thing about the taxi passengers is super creepy.
2: Yeah, that that shivers. (laughs) All right,
1: next.
0: Well, I guess I'll also say my glisten is the election finally coming to a close. And but especially Kamala Harris, I'm just so Mm -hmm. excited about her becoming vice president. I watched this video where she talked with like 10 year old young leaders and told them they have power and it brought tears to my eyes. And it just, I mean, the idea of having her um, in the White House, really for the kids. I just think about all the kids Mm -hmm. and how hard this last four years has been on them. Mm -hmm. Um, And how-
1: dances? all
0: her dance yeah (laughs) super fun she's just i just i'm just really really happy yeah yeah
2: happy about that too
0: all right alex what's your glisten
2: oh i mean i have to say the election i'm like if i don't like what who am i do i have a soul um (laughs) the answer is no but (laughs) um i mean i'm especially happy about Kamala Harris. I mean, n- no, these candidates are not perfect, obviously. It's very, very rare you're gonna find like a perfect candidate. But I just I was I personally was very, very moved by the fact that, you know, now we have like our first woman vice president, also our first black vice president, first Asian vice president. So that was really, really cool yeah. for me. Um I was watching some silly, I should really like not watch like videos on Facebook too much because it's gonna mess up my algorithm and then it's just like (laughs) gonna be full of terrible things but um I was watching this video that somebody had made of um all of America's like vice presidents throughout history and it just showed like white guy after white guy after white guy after white guy usually super old (laughs) (laughs) and then it showed Kamala at the end and I just like made me think like wow it really has been this bad for this yeah. long. Like yeah. it's been like almost like all consuming. Too, it's
1: been way too long for sure. Yeah, yeah, but I'm
2: glad it. I'm glad it finally happened. Like oh my yeah. goodness, what yeah, a thing to experience.
1: Totally. Um, I mean the word that I feel like a lot of countries I've heard say about American, uh, story is like the resilience, you know, and mm-hmm. the, that's a huge word. And I just I you know. You're totally right. Like, these are not perfect candidates uh, at <laughs> all. Like, they weren't my first choices. But mm-hmm. but then I think when, I, when you, like, think about it deeply and you're, like, reading their stories and how much they reflect um, the the stories of people you know trying to just work hard working hard and just like having those opportunities and making those opportunities i mean this was the third time biden ran for president like yeah.
2: four
1: years of political time, career man. like this is his yeah. third time and yeah like it, i think i feel like when i I think about that i'm like that's that's we need that in the white house in terms of like showing that as an example that um yeah no we are, just like keep at it
0: <laughs> keep at it mm-hmm. keep crying um, yeah right as opposed to somebody who decided to run for president to like boost his flailing tv show career oh yeah. you know? like as a stunt you know Jesus. yeah totally um, yeah no it's definitely true that of course they're imperfect and the work continues but I do keep coming back to the fact that they both are persuadable and, yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and, and they care at least about have conversations. People. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I feel pretty good. I feel pretty optimistic. <laughs> <Yay>. Democracy. <laughs> Democracy. Yay. Well, anyways. Well, thanks Alex. Thanks for coming on our show. It was nice I talking know. to you.
0: Is that how you need to Oh, my gosh. And listeners, be sure to read her play, mm-hmm. Best on your play.
1: New play exchange.
0: Yeah,
2: do it. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks so much. Well, <laughs> oh, thank you guys for
0: having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends.
1: And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater, or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.becketsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening.